Hello everyone, I am Brennan Sahajan and I attend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met. And I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my bar. This guest, I found out from the same last name, is the uncle of a good high school friend of mine. He's a very kind, wise, intelligent, semi-retired man in the cell tower construction scene. This silver fox, also known as Hot Rod, is always a pleasure to be around with a keen sense of humor and a charm like no other, Rod McCabus. Okay. Thank you, Rod, for your time. That is first and foremost. I know how valuable time is, and I appreciate that you're doing this. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, you looked over the questions too, so right. the first one is uh, a biggie. Who are you, and what led you to be that person? It's a good question and a tough question to answer. I've been mulling over that for quite a while, so. I guess the best way to describe me is maybe what motivates me and characteristics I'm trying to develop mm-hmm. and people I'm trying to care for. So I've um, I feel like my journey, my life's journey, is always changing. I don't feel like I've just become. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always becoming and I think that is going to be the way my life will be until it isn't anymore I think that's awesome so you know at one point in my life I thought I had it all figured out and then later I realized I really didn't know anything mm-hmm. about life and motivation and who people are and who I was and what matters and So I realize now that what matters are people and uh, compassion and intimacy with friends. Um, You know me from the tap house. Well, I could buy beer and drink it at home, but I go for the staff mostly and the people at the the bar. Yeah. Great conversations often. Yeah. And so... Well, even when they're not great, it's still... Oh, it's sometimes Pretty fun. It's very interesting. <laughs> Especially as occasionally there's somebody that's had way too much to drink before they even walked in your door. <laughs> they are especially entertaining uh, for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then not so much. Um, so my Well, I appreciate that yeah. because I'm one of those staff. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you are one of those staff. And how does that... Um, apply to who you are? Well, it's made me, uh, what I've been doing in the last four years is studying very lightly some Buddhist teachings. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's about (laughs) compassion and finding happiness and removing causes of suffering for myself and others and realizing that um, it doesn't take a lot to be happy. And it's made me a, a calmer person. It's part of my journey of who I am. 
Well, what does it mean to you to be happy? Because that's oh, happy. quite relative. Right, yeah. Everybody has a different feeling about what, what makes you happy, right? Yeah. So the Dalai Lama says in his a book called The Book of Joy, some, they ask him, what's the purpose of life? And he goes to find joy. And I think that depends for everybody. But I think it's more of an internal thing. Do you? Uh, yeah. you don't think I think joy it's, comes from a higher power? I don't. No, I don't. Um, you know, I think most um, most religions started um, or had their bases of thousands of years ago, and um, and they may be even newer religions, but the basis of it came from thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. People trying to find answers to life, sure, and they came up with oral history that became eventually written history, which became, you know everything changes, gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, morphs into other things, and so I don't. I don't really don't think there's a higher power, um, at least not as as we define it. If there is, I don't think it's as is typically defined in our religions. But mm-hmm. so my goal, and it affects me politically and who my friends are and how I try to be, is like if I'm, uh, for example, if I'm at, um, I'm just going to say a bank and. Tellers having a hard time or something's amiss. Instead of being upset about it, I just I think now you know, she probably doesn't even like her job. Yeah, she's just there because she needs the money to find her happiness and find her way. And it's made me a more compassionate person. So I, I feel like I'm a better person and a happier person. So it's part of my journey. So who I am is um, kind of sounds ridiculous, but kind of a pilgrim on a journey. <laughs> I don't think it sounds ridiculous at all. Yeah. No, I think that's a great way of looking at things because for the most part, people think that um, they have it figured out. Or yeah. Or they're, um, right. you know, there are, they're in like a place of complacency where they just mm-hmm. do what they do. Right. Whether or not they have it figured out, they've just like stopped trying to figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's awesome. That's an awesome way to think about it. So, um, I mean, you talked... You said a little bit of Buddhist teaching, but what what led you to? Well, I had uh, I had twenty <laughs> plus years in a uh, fringe evangelical charismatic church, mm-hmm. and I think the reason I was there in the first place was twofold. One is a lot of people my age, and I was looking for uh, friendship. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of for the same reason I go to uh, the local watering hole and have friends outside of that. But <clears throat> And so that, uh, there was just a lot of energy there and a sense of what's important in life, you know. And so mm-hmm. I bought into that for a number of years and then I realized that at least in that instance, it mostly had to do with um, promoting their own agenda, which is true of any organization. Mm-hmm. They promote their agenda. So yeah. So I was involved with that, and then I realized this is just not working for me. So left that, and uh, we had to get all new friends, and we were shunned, and you know, it was, one, it was definitely a fringe church. I, and eventually, it. I have been from personal experience. Yeah. Similar to that. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, eventually, it imploded mm-hmm. and blew up. But then, and some of the people just became like me. They went, "Oh, we've had enough of this," you know. And uh, some people found another place to to land, another yeah. kind of similar church, because it it worked for them. 
Yeah. But it didn't work for me because I felt like we were always looking for how we were different. Somebody else always judging. It was kind of like part of the package. Mm-hmm. Um, and a certain kind of a, it was a right-wing belief system. Um, you know, the church was more, I mean, it was not terribly political, but to some degree, definitely that was underlying pretty much everybody there. Yeah, I was Republican, right? I actually knew quite a few people that went to that church. Oh, so well, I, there you go. I, I, am, I am. That's right. You exactly. Well, I knew Zach, of course, but yeah. I, I knew other people prior to even knowing that that was part of Zach's history, or, or you know, any mm-hmm. of the Michaeluses. Um, right. But, but yeah. So I, I knew a, a few other people, and yeah. and I knew of the the goings on, and I. Like revivals and things that happen there. Oh, all the time. Yeah, it's always yeah. trying to get the energy level up one more level and yeah, it's pretty higher bizarre. power. And you don't want to miss a meeting. That could be the meeting where God really talks to you, you know. Yeah. And it's just all this hype and all your friends are telling you this and mm-hmm. you get this and it's fun music. and and uh, But after a while, you realize that at least most many of us did that it was It's hokum. a facade, yeah. Yeah, just baloney. And isn't it bizarre when you when you yeah. leave that system how the people suddenly disown you? I know. And then <laughs> yeah. and then about a year later they started leaving. Ah. And they would call. Uh, I was married at the time. Called mm-hmm. Ruth and I when they they say, "Can you survive outside of church?" Because they said we can't. I said, "Oh yeah." And they want. So we met with a number of groups there for about a year. So yeah, you can meet. You know, it's not a. Not a problem. I mean, you can survive. Mm-hmm. Your marriage won't fall apart. Yeah. Um, might, but not for that reason. You know. Sure. <laughs> Kids aren't going to, you know, become drug addicts or alcoholics or something. But. Yeah. So anyway, it was, um, <clears throat> Buddhism's really good. It's more about, at least the part I was studying is more about um, <clears throat> you're responsible for your own way. Find your own path. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Turn away from anger and more towards compassion. Doesn't mean you're a wishy-washy person. Yeah. But anyway, that's part of my journey, and I'm happy about that. I think it makes me a better parent, better neighbor, better friend. Awesome. On my journey. So. Well, I think you pondered on that question well. Um, <laughs> but it, I mean, it leads into the next question, which is kind of, you know, interesting. Um, What's worth dying for? Yeah, that's a tough one, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and and on top of that, it is you know, does any cause <clears throat> hold worth anymore? Right. Like, is it is something worth dying for, if there is anything worth dying for? Well, um, I'm Vietnam era. I was not in the service, but I had friends mm-hmm. and relatives that were in Vietnam and. And the stories I hear were pretty soon. How did how did you did you draw like a black card or something? Or? I well, uh, Uncle Sam wanted me in school, and I said, "Great, I'll stay in school." Oh, and uh, and then they said, "Well, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have a lottery," and I got a high number. Hmm. And then the war ended a few years later, but so I was happy about that. Um, I didn't. At the time, were you? Well, I mean, what was your? My belief system. Mentality or whatever. Like. Yeah, at the time, it was like, well, um, <clears throat> it, it just seemed crazy. I mean, 
And I didn't even know all the history of Vietnam. I'd heard that the French were there and we came in after the French. I don't, think, I don't think our presidents knew the history and they just no, decided they to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So if you've watched the story of Vietnam by Ken Burns, the history of it, it's very obvious that French basically colonized Vietnam and mm -hmm. then the United States came in right after them to kind of help them for some reason. I don't even know if they knew why. Yeah. So it was the, the Vietnamese people just wanted to be free. Just wanted their own freedom. Yeah. And we got in the middle of a real shitstorm there on that. But uh, I didn't even know all the all what I know about it now. I just knew that it was ridiculous. People were dying. It was going on and on and on. We were blowing the heck out of North Vietnam. We lost, the United States lost 55,000 and in Vietnam, uh, between South and North, it was well north of a million people uh, for basically no reason at all. Right. You know, to stop communism, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, support our president and all that. So anyway. Um, well, you didn't go, so that's good. I didn't go. Yeah, and uh, didn't want to go. And uh, Did you think that our country was worth dying for? at that time in your life? Well, you know, you grow up with, um, my dad was in World War II and he thought it was worth dying for. And, mm -hmm. and I, my thought was, if it was a just war, uh, it, it probably would be. Yeah, World War II seemed like it was worth fighting for. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, Vietnam, I think, was a mistake. I, I don't know about Korea. Yeah. Um, I think most wars, there's a better way to deal with it. Amen. And then uh, get involved in killing and being killed, you know, because mm -hmm. people come back and right now, I forget the percentage, but a lo uh, close to half of the people that come back from Iraq and Afghanistan have physical or mental impairments after that mm -hmm. that last for often a lifetime. So it's... Um, Easy to get into one, hard to get out, and then the cost of taking care of your veterans 20, 30, 40 years from now is astronomical. Well, so anyway. Taking care, quotes. Take, yeah. Taking care of. Yeah, taking care of. Yeah, however we do that <clears throat> makes good uh, press, but in reality. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, um, what is worth dying for? Oh, dying for. for. And so, is there any cause that really holds Well, I would die you? for uh, my kids or grandkids and maybe somebody else's kids or, you know, mm -hmm. but I know where I was going with this. So in Vietnam, just like any war, they soon realized that people would die for their friends mm -hmm. in the unit they were in. Mm -hmm. And that's why they fought so hard. It really wasn't for God and country anymore. It's they may have enlisted for God and country mm -hmm. and glory and all that. Sure. But in reality, they fought hard to survive and to protect their friends. Mm -hmm. And you had to do that to survive. And so um, that's a really good question, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, when I've, when I've talked to people that don't have children... Um, it's a very hard question for them mm -hmm. to answer because 
I don't know. I mean, maybe it might be because of this time in history, but everything just seems kind of bleak. Right. You know, and, um, or right, maybe it's, maybe it's this information age and when, how we're, we're so enlightened now with all of this knowledge of everything going on all the time that it makes it seem like nothing is worth going on all the time. Right. Um, so, uh, people that have children, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much like the first thing they say, um, obviously. And I am, I'm in, I'm in that boat. So, yeah. um, but to be totally brutally honest though, until that actually happens, who knows what you're going to do in the situation. Right. Right. And you probably and would, a, most of us would put our life at risk to try to save. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, I would totally put my life at risk. Yeah. But to, I mean, to what degree do we, are we willing to, to die? You know, I don't know. Um, and I think that that really is just the honest part of it. I, I mean, I love my kids and my wife is as much as I think humanly possible. But mm-hmm. who knows, man? I know. It's, it's a tough one. Well, I, I, I just, <clears throat> I, I want, I want to challenge everybody. Um, so, and, and clearly, um, it, it is making you think. <laughs> Oh yeah. So that, that 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 is that's worth whatever answer you give. So the causes today, though, to me are not. I'm going to join the service and get an M16 and a and a patch on my arm that has the United States of America on it and go to foreign soils and mm-hmm. and shoot people that somehow are a threat to typically co- companies that have businesses there. Right. <laughs> Um, or, or whatever I'm told. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have a friend and she was a, um, in charge of a lot of the mass units in Afghanistan and have some serious, um, PTSD. Yeah. No, Jeez. I know it was really rough. And I said, well, I said, I'm a, I feel like I'm a patriot too, but I, I my belief now is a good patriot is somebody that develops policy and diplomatic channels to avoid war to so we don't have so many people coming back with PTSD and lifetime injuries mm-hmm. and she agreed yeah. which I wasn't sure because she was a long-term career person in yeah, military we, and talking to military people is an interesting yeah thing. and they and they really like to hang out with other military people because I and I think they're right. We don't really get it. We don't really understand what it's like. Um, but she, she's super smart. Has a degree from Gonzaga since she got out and has some lifetime uh, health issues now because of of that. And um, but I, that's what I think now is probably the most patriotic thing. It's not, um, you know. Sometimes I think about it during the. When they're singing the pledge of, or uh, the Star Spangled Banner, Star Spangled Banner, you know it's all about war and all that. It's like, yeah, what's well, doing something about diplomats in there and and um, and bring us your tired and your hungry and your huddled masses, you know? Yeah, and, um, it's which, a little outdated. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it sounds great for the moment. You got the airplanes flying over and you know bombs mm-hmm. bursting in air and you know it's very and patriotic and I get that, but. The outcome of that, if you want to look at outcomes, isn't a better outcome to try to figure out what really is best for our country. 
and, and the people in it. Like, so anyway, that's, um, that's kind of a, a belief system that's developed in me in the last 10 years or so. So, right. worth dying for, yeah. But. Nah, I, I think that that is also a very good answer. Um, huh. Okay, next question. Let's just, let's just jump mm -hmm. ahead. Mm -hmm. um, where does your inspiration come from? <laughs> Would you like me to edit that out? I, we might have picked that up. <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm, I'm keeping it. <laughs> Would you like me to end that up? Oh, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, probably. Okay. You know, I'm kind of a jolly joker sometimes. So, you know, what can I do in life? What can I, I see things like, um, what makes me feel good? What makes me feel accomplished? Like, I'm somebody who likes to mow the lawn because I like to say, got that done today, hmm. you know? Mm. Having a you know painting a room or the outside, I may not get to it for a while, but when I get it done, it's like, hey, I got that done. It feels good, you know. So I I, I don't sit around much, and I, I'm um, so I'm inspired to achieve things, and I, it makes me feel good, and um, help other people achieve things, mm. uh, whether it's financially or emotionally or uh, just helping uh, somebody out, mm. you know. Where does that come from? So my dad was born in 1920 in Elk River, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Depression hit very hard in 29, 30, 31, 32. And they moved to uh, Lewiston, Clarkston. And <clears throat> mom and dad, his mom and dad, went to work at the children's home in Lewiston. And they have a daughter, Lenore, who lived there. But there was no room for the boys. So they lived in, I think my dad was... 13 or so by that, 12 or 13. He had an older brother that was two years older, 15, and one that was like two years older than that, 17. And the older one was, he's kind of like a rain man oh. uh, kind of guy, super smart in, one, in some areas and just really socially awkward and kind of an embarrassment. But anyway, they lived together. They used to call it batching uh, south of uh, on the road to a Soton from Clarkston. Mm -hmm. And he went to Clarkston High School. He's and, 13 years old. Yeah. And they Living all. on his own with his brothers. Yep. They were all <laughs> on their own. And so life was like that. It was yeah. just really hard. I imagine the mom helped as she could. Mm -hmm. uh, dad was an old German that I don't know what his thing was, but I know grandma was very compassionate, but she had no um, capacity really for income, wow. money. So he became very. Uh, going through life and then he finally he got out of uh, high school and he went to listen no he worked at the potlatch mill for a, a year or less and he thought oh hell no I'm not doing that and he got a job or he went to school at least a normal school he could be a teacher and uh, he taught for a year and he thought that's nah, not really my bag either and then the war was starting up and he got a job at Boeing and he was there and he thought no I want to be in the army so he joined the army and became a pilot in World War II. But he came out of that whole life experiencing experience, leaving, believing that life was tough. You know, sometimes people go through really hard things and he became an optometrist, pretty well off, 
I mean, working class, mm-hmm. well off, you know, yeah. not not owning big businesses, but sure. But from a guy that they literally uh, had nothing at one point in his life, um, <clears throat> there just wasn't enough money to sustain him. In um, like when he was about fourteen or fifteen in the summer, so they shipped him off to some relatives in Sisters, Oregon. He worked on a ranch down there all summer for just board and room. And, um, and that's just kind of the way it was. And he, so he became very compassionate. And he, so and when he was an optometrist, he would go to um, different places and do eye exams for free because he knew what it was like to have zero money. Yeah. So the kids that were developmentally, um, had developmental problems, he would go to those homes and, and do that. And then um, later in his life, he started uh, the optometric office for free eye care at Union Gospel Mission for all the street people. Wow, that's And awesome. so he did that and got all kinds of optometrists. But he's very compassionate that way. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, I think that was the main thing. My mom also was in the Depression. Um, I think in some ways it was harder on her being a girl, one of like seven or eight kids, Central Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, I, think, I think it was really rough on her, her mom diabetic and died young and her dad remarried and the, you know that didn't work very well for the kids and yeah, yeah so anyway but it was really I think my dad that was really compassionate my grandmother was very compassionate as well and I think that's where where that came from it's like an important part of life you know yeah, for sure so my brother and always, and I always felt like he was our safety net if we ever needed something he was always there so I try to be the same for my kids. Sure. Um, you know, only typically they don't need anything once in a while. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's where that came from. Very cool. Uh, and <clears throat> I when when I when I interview people and I ask these questions, it's so interesting to me because. If someone was interviewing me, I don't know. I don't know if I could really even answer my own questions. I think that I have all of these questions because I, I don't really know how to answer them myself. Oh no, um, they're very open-ended. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple that I that I can, but that is one of them that I I I don't know how I would really have to dig in deep. But I I like your answer, um, and so let's go on. Do you feel in control of your life? I do. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Life is good for me. Um, I had a long time. It's when I was <clears throat> struggling. You know, it was that period of life when uh, you have kids at home. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in the middle of it. Yeah. You're trying to work. You're trying to take care of the house. Take care of your kids. Be a husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, take care of the bills. I mean, all those kinds of things. And it's just a lot of hard works. In my case, in part because of uh, the Christian belief system that we were in, we thought that uh, women should stay home. And so um, I was a sole breadwinner, four kids, and there's braces and college funds and and, uh, and got a divorce. And, wow. And she had a really good attorney. and. <laughs> we're good friends now you know oh well, that's good yeah we are very good friends and she lives in town and we chat about things going on mostly with the kids and 
I help her out. But that's a hard time, you know. I can't imagine that. I yeah, don't know. I mean, trying to take care of all those things um, at that time. So, thankfully, I've been in situations where, in both my marriages, strong, independent women that want to, yeah, you know, work and and they, you know, can provide for themselves if need be. Um, <clears throat> and I have, and the well, other thing about control of my life was is. Uh, I was blessed with some good, pretty good genes, mm-hmm. healthy, yeah, and reasonably good mind, and so, you know, I think you have a very good mind. So it's just reasonably good. <laughs> thank you, but it, it it helps, you know. So yeah, I have bumps, I have things, I have some projects I'm working on now that are keep me awake at night, but mm-hmm. uh, wake me up. But uh, except for that one thing and some family stuff. You know, and but my own life, I feel like I'm pretty much in control. Yeah. I have friends, my finances are okay, and I'm well, reasonably healthy. So. Do you feel that there's anything that holds you down? Well, uh, that's interesting because um, recently I thought, hmm, I could, uh, I was visiting friends in uh, Santa Rosa, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really all those fires right now. But yeah. I was down there without the fires, and it's really quite lovely down there. And I can see why people wanted to live in that area between there and the Bay. Yeah, that's Bay. Northern California. Yeah. And um, I thought, God, I could actually live down here, except, well, I couldn't afford it probably. But um, so I thought, yeah, I, could, I, guess, I guess holding me down, it's just kind of my own brain telling mm-hmm. me. Because now I have, <clears throat> I have a granddaughter and a grandson that will be right here in about uh, four or five weeks. And uh, my kid, two of my kids are here, two of the four, and and uh, yeah, is, do you, may I? Sorry to interrupt, but no, I, don't, no. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know ahead. if that's holding you down. That's like keeping, that's keeping you where you need to be. Don't well, keeping where I want to be, but I also want to be like, I've been, um, I've been studying uh, my Spanish. It's been kind of a lifelong thing. I, w- I went to school in Mexico mm-hmm. for a while in college. Well, I went to school. We got credit anyway. <laughs> and I was in Mexico. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just to be perfectly clear. Yeah. <laughs> and I did learn some history and I learned a lot of things. Actually, I learned a lot of things about appreciating the United States living abroad. Uh-huh. I think it's a great thing for everybody. And mm-hmm. You have too. And, yeah. And uh, it's a great experience. We all should. I agree. It really helps us to realize that, you know, we may look different, but we're all really the same. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I, the only thing that holds me down is my own, um, my own thing. Like part of me wants to go live in Spain for three or four months, mm-hmm. and try to become more fluent in Spanish. Yeah. Or, and, uh, but yet, then I wouldn't be able to see my granddaughter and new grandson very often. So, you know, so it's kind of more. But if you're only living there for three or four months, you'll come back and they'll be here. I know. Or I could. Have them come over and hang out there. Even better. I know. So so the only thing I think that holds me down is probably what holds most people down. It's their own belief system. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's what holds me down all the time. You know, I, I have health. To, you know, my vision's not as good as it used to be. My thoughts aren't quite as quick as they used to be. And, you know, I mean, all those things. It's just normal. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. But it's not really holding me down. Yeah. You know, it's just what I think about life. You know, it's like, 
well, this is where I want to be, but I also want to be here, you know. It's just kind of figuring it out. So. Oh, I totally get it. Yeah. Good question. Awesome. Um, Larry's blowing through this. Um, what have you done that is truly wrong? You know, that is an interesting question. I didn't expect it. Um, yeah. Well, and the second part of the question is, can something be truly wrong? Yeah, probably things can truly be wrong, I think. Causing a, a huge amount of misery to other people, I think most people would say is wrong. Um, and I'm sure I've caused misery to some people. Uh, I think my divorce probably was the most, uh, the thing I'm most concerned I don't know, guilt's the right word, maybe. I don't think guilt's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think I it really helps people very much. But I think I'm aware of how much damage uh, was done uh, to the kids. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they've kind of recovered, I think, for the most part. But uh, one of them has had a really hard time on it, maybe two of them. So, you know, as they get older, they realize life happens and they're faced with the same things, mm -hmm. but it was tough. And um, so I don't know if it was really wrong, but it's a regret. Although looking back on it, I don't know of any other solution. Yeah. I don't know of any other way of doing it. I think maybe if I would have done it a little differently, <clears throat> uh, embrace the kids more and just put everything else in my life kind of on hold as much as possible would have been good. But... As far as things would be truly wrong, yeah, I think people that, you know, abuse children and pets and, you know, but, yeah. you know, and then again, I mean, it's wrong, but there's, there's a reason for it. Right. Mental illness and yeah, I have to believe anybody who does that is not right, but it does, still doesn't make it justify it. So I think things can be truly wrong, but... Uh, I don't know if I've done anything, uh, you know, the divorce is the hardest thing, hmm. but, you know, well, it's I, life. I don't think that divorce in and of itself is truly wrong, by any means. No, I don't either. No, um, no, it's just, a, it's just rough. Yeah. It's just regret that that happened. Mm -hmm. Although, I don't know, even now, I mean, I thought, I just, thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you really regret it? Well, I don't regret. I uh, regret getting a divorce. I just regret the damage it did to the sure. kids. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough on them. Yeah. So, hmm. but, so I think, yeah, things can be definitely, can be wrong, but I don't know if I've done anything. You don't have any stories when you were a kid that you think that was pretty wrong? Any stories? Yeah. From, like, what do you mean? Well, <clears throat> I, I feel like, I feel like people that think about stuff that they've done wrong, unless it was like a big momentous thing in their life, like in, in your case, um, they, they often think about when they were young and they were, they were checking out or figuring out their moral scale or oh, whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, myself, I, I definitely, when I was, I was fairly young, did things that were just, I mean, definitely truly wrong, but like on the edge of evil, you know, it's like, 
where did this motivation to do this thing come from? And when I think about it now, even though it happened 30 years ago, I, I, I mean, I totally could cry about it because yeah. I feel so remorseful. Right. And you, you don't have memories of when you were a child that you like, you did things that were totally wrong, but you didn't even maybe even know that at the time it was wrong. Yeah, I don't know if I just justified it or um, or what. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. Well, justification is a is definitely a a very dangerous tool. Right. And I mean, I in in my own life, I have used it on way too many occasions that I wish that I haven't. Right. Um, yeah. But, well, I I find it interesting, and I brought this up actually in another in another podcast, but I'll, I'll say it again because you actually brought something up that it made me kind of feel guilty. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry about well, that. No, 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 it's fine. Um, and, and, and I actually, I talk about it pretty openly with a lot of people, but, um, I find it interesting the different levels of reactions that I get. Um, I, well, I'll, I'll give you the blanket statement and then you'll immediately judge but then I'll tell you the backstory and maybe it'll lighten it up. Or maybe I'll tell you the backstory. No. Okay. I put a cat in the microwave. Yeah. So that is usually where people are just like, what? What kind of person are you? What? You know, and they freak out. And it's like, no, I, all right. I, I mean, I personally don't like cats. Right. And that's one of my justifications. Um, but... We put the cat in the microwave for 10 seconds. Yeah. Which admitting, admittedly would potentially do some kind of damage. Yeah. But it's not going to kill the cat. Probably. Yeah. Or even really heat it up or whatever. Right. But it freaked it out. Oh, and, yeah. And I was just in, you know, I think I was in, I was in fourth grade uh-huh. and... Besides the fact that we hated this cat, we just wanted to see what would happen. Right. And and we, you know, it's not like we put it in there and kept it in there to kill it. We just wanted to see. So we just watched it, you know, the light came on and the cat was kind of freaking out and like looking back and forth because I imagine microwaves are hitting you from all over. Oh, yeah. It's like, what's going on? Hear it. And then it went off and, and yeah. it was over. And and we we opened, opened the door and this cat was like... Crazy. Energized. Yeah. <laughs> it flew across the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Didn't even touch the floor because it was, you know, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gone. Like, and then, like, went into the ventilation system and was, like, in there for days. <laughs> so, we, I mean, we traumatized the cat, obviously. Yeah. And it's a bad thing. But you, you specifically said, like, um, abuse pets. And... And and that's a that's a abuse. I I totally did. Yeah, but, you know I'm I was also a I was a ten year old kid that was being curious and the 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 cat lived a long life. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know I had all that energy. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, a, it was a predecessor, as the so British would say, to the Energizer Bunny. Sure, <laughs> okay, um, energizing. Yeah, energizing but I, pussy. But P- <laughs> jeez. For a lack of a better term, yes, Rob. Oh, oh kitty. <laughs> a kitty. There you go. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, but, I, and I think so. I don't really know if true. that's evil. No, no I or well, really wrong. It was probably wrong. To, it was a wrong. Action. I think it's one of those. If your parents would have seen it, it would have been a teaching moment. Right. You know, but I, I know at that age, looking back in my life, there was a lot of areas where it's like, well, is that? My parents would have said it was wrong. Yeah. But it was just curiosity, you know? Oh, that totally you know, what, is what like, it was. And I did yeah. a lot of mean things to that cat beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> just because I hated the cat. I have a friend that, uh, he was a good friend and he had an older brother and his older brother was mean to him and mm-hmm. he didn't like it. And so uh, my friend, Mike, uh, his older brother was taking a bath and so he opened the door and uh, threw the cat in with him in the bathtub. <laughs> it scratched the hell out of it. So was that truly wrong? Or was that just truly an amazing story? <laughs> I don't know. That isn't, that's, that's cat abuse. That's definitely brother abuse. <laughs> well, when, yeah, when it comes to siblings like that, you know. I don't know. There's. I don't even think about the stuff that I did to my sister. It's truly wrong. I'm just like she deserved it. She broke a brush over my head. Of course she deserved it. You right. Know, we just tormented each other. Yeah. So my brother and I, when we were in grade school, we had this vacant lot next door, and we go out there and capture grasshoppers in the summertime. It was just thousands, thousands of them, and we'd uh, chop their little heads off, and then we'd stick them on top of these little uh, motors we had on our rector set, and we'd spin them around for a while, and. Then we try to burn ants with uh, magnifying glasses, and then mm-hmm. we got a little older. We got uh, we went through a hunting thing, and we'd go bird hunting with my dad. We'd come mm-hmm. back with, and we'd clean our birds out in the you know pheasant and grouse and ducks in the back porch. And my sister just hated it, and of course then we chopped the head off and put it on a knife and chase her around with it. You know, <laughs> it's like. Yeah, those are things that now I would, if my kids were doing, I'd say, hey, stop that immediately. Um, but, you know, the parents weren't there the whole time. So, yeah, it's probably wrong. But also it was, I think that's where the brain, our brain was at the moment. And it just developed. So it's like, I'm not really trying to justify bad behavior, but I think it does, it is part of a growing up, you know? Yeah. So, um no, I think it's so. funny, funny thing. So, my uh, my folks bought this place out near Whitworth, and there was a barn next door, mm-hmm. and they had that that was about an acre there, and they tore down the barn, and they were going to build a house, and they did, and and uh, is that where Randy's living now? No. Oh, okay. But uh, <clears throat> so there was a garage built. But before it was being used, it was a dirt floor and all that, and we were always hanging around trying to find something to do. And and um, we do one day. My dad says, uh, "Hey, there's water stains on the rafters. Are you guys peeing on those?" And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we can stand on the dirt floor and pee up to the rafters <laughs> as only a fourth grader could do, you know, and hit it. And so you really were, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, we really were. And so it's wow. that's, that's the kind of way the brain worked at that time. That it's like is some serious power. Oh my god, my dad was just—I couldn't believe it. And it's like, yeah, well, those days are long gone now. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe if I stood above it, I could hit it. But yeah, anyway, it was just funny. He looked at that. Why is that? Are you guys peeing on that? <laughs> 
So anyway, it's just, you know, a, a man's brain doesn't really fully develop until he's about 28, 29, or yeah. maybe 48, I don't know. But <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah, but we all are, right? <laughs> so anyway, that's a, that's a question where it's like, yeah, um, you know, evangelical churches, they, they talk about, they try to grab kids by the time before they're 19, 20, because if they don't, they're hard to bring in to the yeah. church. Mm-hmm. And armies try to get people involved early and, you know, gangs and all that because the brains aren't really developed. And then they end up doing some terrible things because they don't really get it, you know. So that's a good question. We, talk a lot, we could talk a long time about that. That's a really interesting perspective on that, too. Yeah. Hmm. Well, well the, the next question is pretty interesting as well. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to say without it just sounding a jumble of words. Um, what is your opinion about the natural hierarchical order in reference to humanity? Yeah, that was a really good question because I thought, um, what the hell is that? So mm-hmm. I Googled it, and um, what I read, um, and correct me if you have a different opinion. Okay. Because um, <clears throat> so we want to be talking about the same thing. Is natural hierarchy uh, in humans has to do with some people are viewed as being more intelligent, better looking, uh, able to lead better. I think it has to do with leadership. And so I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, that seems wrong. And the, the, a couple of articles just really talked about it as if it's just a given. And then there's cultural hierarchy, which is different. You know, the culture may um, attribute other characteristics to people that are higher. But then I thought, well, um, tall males, uh, there are more CEOs that are tall males, they get more money. Then females, they get more money than shorter males. White, tall males in the United States and Europe do the best. And I thought back to my life and I thought, yeah, I got some breaks that really were not according to my ability, but just according to how I was perceived. Yeah. And um, tall, white male. Yeah, tall, white, college educated male. Like, you know, it doesn't get much better than that in the USA or probably Canada. And even when um, tall white males go to other countries, they seem to get kind of a little bit of, um, I'm going to say reverence. I'm not sure that's the right word, but they go to places of color. They seem to stand out and they get, at least for a while, you know, I think when. I do know. Yeah. I, I right. Was, I have, you would. I've experienced it personally. In Thailand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I do think reverence is actually a very appropriate word. Yeah. And, and no, this is exactly what I'm trying to ask with this. Yeah. And so I want to so, hear your opinion about this. So when uh, I went to school, kind of, I, went to, I was in Mexico going to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did study about Cortez coming over. Mm-hmm. And I understand he, he was a Spaniard, but he was still probably, he looked different. He had a horse and definitely was more majestic. He had the armor, he had the sword, he had the... He musket was, and he was much more white much more white yeah, yeah. than uh, the aztecs mm-hmm. 
And so they thought he was some sort of a returning God. Their yeah. religion says returning God. And so they let him come in and all that. But I think that's a pretty good example of somebody coming in and you think, wow, this guy's really something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so at first I thought, well, I don't like that idea very much. Uh, it seems wrong. And it's I fight against it. You know, I think that our country and our world would be a lot better if we let more women involved in, or not let, but more women were involved in politics and government, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they would find a more diplomatic solution than just war. Um, <clears throat> so I or, think it does... Or chaos. Or chaos. Or chaos, or chaos. yeah. situation. Yeah, there was a, a public TV program that ran, or ran on public TV about... And it was in Africa, and I can't remember where. But the women got involved, and they stopped this gang fighting. Hmm. They just they they just all agreed, and they pressured their husbands and families. And they said, "We're stopping this," and and it worked. Wow. And so um, I think that is, but it's hard because uh, even in the United States, you'll find. A lot of women that will like a tall white man over a um, shorter white woman or a black woman um, running for high office just because it just, I think it triggers something in them. They think it's better. And, it, you know, it's kind of biblical in a way, not the height, but, you know, but even in the, on the height, they talk about um, King David said he's, he was a, Head above, or I can't remember if it was David. No, that was Saul. Saul. Saul was a head, head above, above everybody, else. everybody else. So he was tall. Yeah. And so somehow that made him more powerful, king, powerful yeah. king like. Yeah. Yeah. And so he got, yeah, it was Saul. So um, so anyway, I think it is true, although as much as I, I don't like it, I think it probably is true that people believe that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think it, uh, I, I'm assuming that came from. Um, My, was more my thoughts, you mean, of how I thought of this question? No, no, I was oh. thinking about how, why do people think that, oh. you know, and um, I'm assuming it's because of uh, throughout history, the tall white, or the taller people, yeah. the white people, the perception of power, and then, and then you get, you get people that do really well uh, financially or in their craft, and they begin to get elevated as well. Right. But the natural, whatever you're born with, it, um, you know, it's, um, it's unfortunate, but I think it's probably true. You know, was, yeah. That was the long answer to that. Well, I don't think that that was that long. Um, and I, and I, I appreciate you looking it up and gaining some knowledge about it, too. I, the reason that I thought of the question in the first place is because of, uh, well, um, our current society and, and the, the odd pendulum swing of, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be gender specificity or, um, or like you're saying, getting like, the patriarchy holding women down 
mm-hmm. or uh, I mean, all all of those things were kind of encompassed in this, and I want and I just want to address them, and, and I think that it will trigger different people in different ways to well talk about a certain yeah thing. holding women down and people of color yeah. down yeah and exactly. uh, and then you look at you know, why do why would women vote for our current president <laughs> you know and well he's tall he's considered to be rich. Uh, so if he's rich, he must be successful. Yeah, he's braggadocious. You know, um, he's a womanizer, which you think would be a negative to women, but in somehow I think it promotes maybe that sense of he is powerful and attractive, confident. And confident. Yeah. yeah, and so it's very interesting, and it, it plays into um, like our natural psyche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It's like why would you do that? I mean, would you want your I mean, think about your daughter and your grandchildren. And, mm-hmm. and um, would you want that for them, you know? That's right. Um, and, uh, but somehow it, it, it goes beyond that. They, it's some sort of natural hierarchy of belief system. that, And then you plug in some uh, religious beliefs yeah, yeah. with it. And, um, you know, he is not a religious person at all. But yeah, he's got this. how to play got, that card. But he's got huge support from evangelical and Bible Belt churches, you know, mm-hmm. from, and he is, um, and, and they're saying, well, God works in mysterious ways and he's against abortion, but also he's not, he's not, a, he's not pro for, um, love your neighbor as yourself either, you know, no, at all. And that's, and that's the second rule. commandment, right? Of the New Testament. And so he's like, well, that. That goes out the window. So then, so then it kind of makes you think. Well, where, what, what's going on in the Bible Belt and the evangelical churches? It just makes you wonder. It's like it's, it's really more of a political party now, mm-hmm. because love your God with your whole heart, your mind, your soul. I'm paraphrasing, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then, well, where's our you know? And then there's talk. It's been a long time since I read any Bible, but. Jesus says, you can serve me by helping me when I'm hungry. and, and Helping the hungry, helping yeah, the poor. Yeah, the poor, them. and they're with you all the time. Help them, you're helping yeah. me. Yeah. And, um, and so that is really the crux of the New Testament, mm-hmm. was reconciliation, compassion, lifting each other up. And it's like, it's just, it's, I don't hear about it anymore. It's about how we're different. And it's about seemingly guns, gays, and uh, abortion, you know. And it's, it's really, um, and I think part of it is that natural hierarchy thing and, um, and showing that we're different or better. Or I, I don't know what, I, w- I wish I knew, hmm. you know. Well, I, I... For, me, for me, life... You didn't ask this question, but a lot of what drives me right now is um, trying to find a level playing field for people yeah. who can make or break their own way in life. You know, I realize I had some breaks; people didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, my folks wanted me to go to college; I did go and graduated. And yeah. So, um, and a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And I used to think, well, blacks didn't have jobs because they were lazy. And then I realized I was so wrong. Yeah. You know? Um, so maybe that was a truly wrong thing to believe. <laughs> that was a truly yeah. wrong thing. Well, it was believe. a wrong thing to believe. Yeah. 
and that um, you know there's this perception that Mexicans are lazy. Well, if you've ever been to Mexico, they work their asses off. They work oh, yeah. really hard. Oh, and that's, that's true all over the world. So much harder than the yeah. Americans work. And there's this belief that oh yeah, well they have a war in uh, somewhere and they're trying to get out of Sudan because of you know some kind of civil war wherever mm-hmm. it happens to be and. And I've heard and my dad say, well, they don't really value life like we do. And it's like, yeah, they do. They mourn when their kids are died, killed. They mourn when their husbands and wives are killed. It's, we're all the same, you know. And uh, Warren Buffett talked about that recently. That They said, why are you giving all your money away? He said, well, after a while, you realize we're really all the same. It's like, it's the only thing you can possibly do. <laughs> it's kind of like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Like, you know, they both believe that. They try to do things like, um, you know, somebody who's like, like Bill Gates is a great example of huge amount of money and success. Mm-hmm. But what's he doing now? He's got two pet big projects through his foundation, he and Melinda. Mm-hmm. They are <clears throat> trying to get clean water and eradicate polio. So they, they've really looked at polio. How do we eradicate it? And most people go, I thought it was. Well, it is eradicated in the United States. In developing countries. Yeah, but not in third world countries. And so they have taken Africa on and they realized that a lot of people weren't getting vaccinated because they didn't have maps to show where to go. So now they have the ability with technology and deep thinking to create maps and go to those places. And, And in 2018, there was only 33 cases of polio. Now, I know that It'll probably ebb and flow, and they'll miss a village somewhere, and it will keep going. But they are using all their technology and ability to do good. They're using their powers for good. So he's made money. He's self-actualized. And now the highest thing he can possibly do is help humanity. Yeah. Warren Buffett is putting money into that foundation for the same thing. And tons of other billionaires as well. So anyway, that, that, that does give me hope. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, it's a, it's on Netflix. It's called Inside Bill's Brain. Oh, it's a great show. Huh. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, <clears throat> I, um, I mean, I was just thinking of something that, uh, someone else that I interviewed. They, they gave me this little motivational thing that I kind of want to, somehow incorporate into a question. But it's really been encompassed in most of what you've been saying. And um, the saying is. I don't want to hear about your limited beliefs. I want to hear about your limitless. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> how you are limitless. And um, I don't know. I, 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 was just, I just thought, man, that's totally what he's talking about. And it's awesome. It's good motivation in and of itself. And, and, I, and, and that's awesome about Bill Gates. Um, I'm not saying he's really, perfect. I don't know much about him, really. But I'm just saying he has taken... For all his ups and downs or whatever. But he's working on how he can be limitless. Full, full time. Yeah. Full time. He and his wife and foundation are just doing amazing Which things. Which is awesome. And then... It's not like he's going to spend all his money. Right, <laughs> he right. He can't spend all of his money. Well, it's like, right, how can I do good, right? Yeah. And so, the other thing was um, clean water. Yeah. And he said, well... They got into this pretty quickly. They realized you can't have clean water until you have sewage systems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places in Africa don't have 
uh, enough water or electricity. So they've put out these big grants to people to make self-composting toilets. Oh. And because it, people would have, they would be toilets around and they'd go to these pits and they'd dump it into the water. Sure. And the kids downstream would swim in it and they'd come down. And so four out of five kids die. Yeah, they don't. I'm, and it's just There has awful. to be knowledge of, of you know. Knowledge. Sanitary. Knowledge is, is a huge part of it. It is. Knowledge and understanding that it really does matter. So uh-huh. anyway. <clears throat> All right. The last question is, what is your theme song, Rod? And you are claiming that you do not have a theme song. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> well, how about... Yeah. What is music that just like right now that you've listened to recently, maybe? Or maybe not recently. A song that just like sticks to you and has meaning. Oh, wow. That resonates with you. You know, some of my favorite musicians are uh, Jack Johnson, David Gray, you know. No kidding. Yeah. Why? I don't know. They're kind of, they seem real in their singing, you know. They hmm. seem like they really have a message to give. And Bob Dylan, even, when you can understand him. You don't think he has a message? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'll, I'll, Bob, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. Bob? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think he has a message. Oh, that's all he has is messages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> no, I think he does have a message. It's just, uh, I was just laughing because last time I heard him, he was a little hard to understand, but the band was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's sounding yeah. a little gruff these days. Yeah, he's a little gruff. Yeah. Paul Simon, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. You know, it's just all these fabulous uh, musicians, and uh, yeah, just. Uh, Is there one song that you think just resonates with you? Yeah. Is it Banana Pancakes? <laughs> Maybe. Please say no. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are really big music people, and I'm. I love it. I just, and I really respect it, but I don't have a theme song. All right. So I, I think that's okay. Yeah. At least you mentioned some good musicians and well, music. Bruce Cockburn, radio on Pandora. Yeah, I know. Nobody knows about it. I heard about it. I, it was playing at the Tap House one night. I said, who is that? And so that's one of my go-to. Bruce Cockburn. Yeah. I, I know. What a, t- what a painful name. I know. <laughs> Yeah, his cousin is uh, John Hancock. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. But he's kind of a callous guy. <laughs> oh, what an awesome way to end this. <laughs> um, what, what's Bruce Cockburn's music like? Because I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it's kind of a compilation of like... Um, uh, it's a mix, Wayla, little Waylon Jennings and uh, Bob Dylan and uh, Paul Simon. Oh, okay. Kind of um, David so, Gray, all kind of wrapped up in there. Americana sort of. Yeah, yeah. Music. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. All right, I like that. Easy listening, but you kind of feel like, well, it's got some meaning to it. Yeah. You know, it's like singer, songwriter, guitar music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I like that. Yeah. 
You think I was going to say t- Taylor Swift? No, I most definitely did not. Who I, I think is amazing for what she does. But okay, you know, I think anybody who is really good at their craft, you have to re- respect them, no matter what it is. You know. All right, all right. I agree with that. I yeah. just, you know, can't get behind that kind of music. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. John Hancock. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Rod. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs>